It's Thursday, August 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Brian Hinman and Bill Mann. Thank you for being here, gents. Good to see you, Chris. Good to see you. Uh, very happy to have you both here. We're going to talk restaurant stocks. Um, earnings Palooza rolls on, and let's start with Tesla Motors. Tesla posted a loss for the second quarter. That was expected. It was double the loss that analysts were expecting, uh, but the stock is is flat today. And because I'm, who cares? Well, <laughs> honestly, it, look, Elon Musk has plans that, if they work, are going to cost tens, you know, tens of billions. Let's call it ten billion dollars to finance. All right. So basically, all you need to track with Tesla on a quarter by quarter basis is what's their cash flow. And how much money do they need? Because there are secondaries coming. It almost doesn't matter. I think of Tesla as being almost like you know that trope in movies where the plane engines on fire and they've got to like dive bomb it and make the uh, you know and, and and make the flame go out. Yes, that's what they do over and over and over. <laughs> right. That's what their quarters are because they're just sort of they're taking risks and getting to the next secondary. So the market's exactly right to react to not react at all based on the fact that they you know and you know there's certain things to be concerned about but. yeah and nobody's owning this company for the near term earnings uh, outlook yeah. uh, or even the near term cash flow Outlook. I mean, I think investors are uh, hyper focused on the viability of the company, so that you know that yeah. uh, how much cash are they bleeding, or how much cash will they need to raise. I think investors are also looking at production numbers, you know, because in order for Tesla to take hold, it has to actually be able to to deliver the wonderful products that it's promising and yeah. pre-selling. Yeah. Uh, and so I think there's a there's a fascinating look at this company uh, as a manufacturing company because it's. Uh, you know, viewed as uh, increasingly viewed as sort of a just a, a risk-taking yeah. enterprise, but when the rubber meets the road, they are going to have to be wonderful manufacturers because that's just the way uh, autos or batteries uh, or any of those businesses work. Right. They need to show demand. You know, full stop. They have to show demand, and I think the demand numbers this this quarter were a little bit light. You know, and that's probably one thing that you need to focus on, and then focus on the cash and. And that's about it. I mean, at Full Funds, we 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 try to characterize all the companies that you know that we analyze and we own. And you know, I describe this one as being a mutant. Right? This is a company that just seriously, like it just in a it, good way. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> yes, in a way, uh, it's just it, it is simply if Tesla is going to be successful and a, a successful investment, you almost have to throw out. Any of the uh, any of the analytical tools in your toolbox, it's just not going to be built in the spreadsheet. I mean, that's just as simple as that. So, Brian, you mentioned a couple of different businesses. One that you did not mention was energy, and so with the acquisition of Solar City, uh, first, I'm I'm just curious, what do you guys think of that? When you first heard that it was happening, did you just say, "Well, you know what, investing in this company is to invest in Elon Musk, and if this is what he's going to do, well, then fine." Or yeah. Do, I mean, do you feel positively or negatively about that acquisition? Deeply negative. Deeply negative. Deeply negative. Yeah, I don't think it benefits. I don't think it benefits existing shareholders, right? I, you know, the, I, 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 I have never really had that much of a great uh, opinion of Solar, Solar City as a business. I think it's a, you know, it's 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 a wonderful science fair project. Uh, but it's, it's a pretty tough business, and so I just don't, I don't, I don't see that as being, I don't see the path 
to uh, benefiting shareholders in the same way that I do see the potential path for, you know, for Tesla Motors to benefit shareholders. Yeah, I try and find the silver lining in this and think through both sides of the equation because my my initial reaction was was that of Bills and that this is just there's no this is not clearly good for Tesla shareholders. It's pretty clearly good for Solar City shareholders, but but yeah. not Tesla shareholders. And probably pretty good for Elon Musk. Yeah. yeah. And so so I was thinking through, you know, why might this be good? Well, certainly I think if you're making the investment in Tesla or Tesla plus Solar City, you are making the investment in Elon Musk. And so to the extent that you can get his focus more concentrated, that's a win. I mean, you are seeing uh, you know, Jack Dorsey at Twitter being split between Twitter and Square and other ventures and everything he's doing is is suffering yeah. because of it. And so if by br- bringing some centralization to El- the Elon Musk empire can keep him uh, more focused uh, and better in control of his sprawling empire, then that could be a win. But uh, for shareholders, I just don't see it. I think, you know what, that's a really interesting point. I think that's entirely true, because basically, with a publicly traded venture called Solar City out there, at some point, if he ignores it, as it becomes a smaller and smaller part of his empire, if you will, there's the risk of you know, malfeasance, if you will, you know, or, or, or neglect. And so when you take those shareholders into Tesla, suddenly he can, you know, he, he doesn't have to concentrate on Solar City. Yeah. So I, that's a good point, Brian. That's well done. <laughs> Try not to sound so surprised. <laughs> I had never thought of it that way. That's all I'm saying. Um, we, should gotta, ta- we should talk more. We should. <laughs> it's too bad we don't sit next to one another. <laughs> this is what it takes for the two of you to talk. I got to invite you in here. All right, let's move on uh, to the restaurant industry. Uh, there are there there seems to be this increasing drumbeat that uh, it's over for restaurant stocks after a really good run. Don't tell that to Jack in the Box. No shares of Jack in the Box. Up, Jack is out of the box. Up ten percent. Yeah. Third quarter profits came in much higher than expected. People like burgers and people like that Qdoba, Brian. Yeah, I mean, it, to to remind our listeners and watchers, uh, Jack in the Box has two concepts. It's Jack in the Box, that the hamburger sandwich chain, and and Qdoba, which is the uh, I don't want to call it the Chipotle knockoff because they were there first, uh, but it sor- certainly the prequel paled in comparison yeah. to uh, the the success of Chipotle. I think, uh, yeah, you know. Restaurant stop stocks have gotten hammered, and so I think part of today's I think Jack in the Box is up ten percent or so. Part of today's stock reaction is at least uh, a reversal of uh, what people were fearing uh, leading into this earnings announcement. I mean, it wasn't the results were not all that spectacular. Comps yeah. were up, you know, one to two percent across the uh, across the concept, um, and if you look into those comps one step deeper, you see no one no. It wasn't. It wasn't coming from uh, transaction growth. So more people were not going into the stores. Uh, they were just getting a little more out of each transaction. So it was ticket price. It was ticket price. Yeah. And so uh, you know, as far as uh, long-term sustainability of same-store sales growth, you have to see a more even split there. You can't just jack up the prices or uh, you know, offer. Dif- different but more expensive goods. You got to get people coming in the door. I mean, that's really what makes the restaurant model shine. Uh, so it, it wasn't anything spectacular. They cut the heck out of SGNA costs, and so profits looked great. Yeah. Um, but those one or two percent comps were on top of some pretty impressive comps last year. Uh, so I think people were sort of expecting worse, and they got not worse. 
Not worse is a pretty good thing when people are uh, people are, are are you know negative on the entire sector. Couple things. One is thinking about Qdoba itself. Uh, Chipotle's earnings were out last week, and they had almost minus twenty percent in foot traffic, and I in their same stores. And so I was a little surprised that Qdoba didn't see more of a benefit from that. Their same store traffic was basically flat, and. Uh, you know, it's 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 almost terrible radio to even talk about this. But uh, you know, a lot. You know, one thing to keep in mind with the Jack in the Box uh, earnings was that a lot of the stuff that happened was uh, was one time in nature. They had you know some accruals and things like that. So it wasn't that great of a report. You know, revenues were flat basically. Um, but you know. yeah, but it looked okay next to the whiffs. Uh, that we've been seeing yeah. across the industry. Yeah, uh, it's interesting because I, I, Bill, you just touched on something I was going to ask as a follow-up regarding Qdoba's same-store sales. Because what we have seen typically with Jack in the Box is whatever the comps are at the Jack in the Box burger concepts, the same-store sales that we see out of Qdoba are higher. Yeah. Sometimes they're dramatically higher, yeah. sometimes just one or two percentage points. But the fact that they have, and it, to your point, Brian, this is this is off of uh, you know comparison of last year when they, they really crushed it. But it is interesting to see the Qdoba really coming down to earth in terms of same-store sales. Yeah. yeah. What about this question of the restaurant industry as a whole? We're seeing more and more stories uh, being written and more analysts coming forward and saying, look, this has been a great industry for a long time, but I really think now is not the t- like the, now is the time to start looking elsewhere. Do you think do you think there is something to the restaurant bubble talk? Well, if you think about what's happened in the restaurant industry, and this is you know this is this is my own opinion, which is probably why it's coming out of my mouth. Right. But whatever. Uh, what you've really seen is, is is not so much a bubble. What you've seen really is a rotation. You know, a lot of the new brand, the new concepts have you know have taken out. Ruby Tuesdays hasn't seen growth in forever. The McDonald's concept hasn't really seen growth in forever. A lot of the older concepts have been really replaced by Chipotle, Texas Roadhouse, uh, Qdoba. You know, you go, go down the list, and I think that probably we're coming to the end of them competing against incompetent or dying competitors and they're now competing against each other so uh is there a restaurant bubble there's not obviously restaurant stocks have had a great run uh but some have benefited and others really have you know have dropped off so yeah i think if you take a step back and say what has driven the rise in in the restaurant i mean the trend of americans eating out more I mean, this has been going on for 15 years uh, and has just been a remarkably steady secular support to these businesses. And then I think another thing that is uh, overlooked, um, but restaurant restaurants have grown uh, largely in franchise models um, because banks are willing to lend, mm-hmm. uh, increasingly willing to lend to restaurant franchisees. Uh, and you know they are sitting on a ton banks are sitting on a ton of money looking for productive areas to lend uh, and there aren't that many but this um, is about as good as it but gets but this is about as good as it gets yeah. and so uh, so that's an interesting thing I, on Wells Fargo's last call they actually announced that they're doing more and more of it so you know it leads me to put my skeptics hat on and yeah, say exactly. well <laughs> not everybody should be you know taking out a $300,000 loan to open up a a burger joint um 
but that that is definitely I think been supporting supporting this trend. Yeah, Bill, you mentioned Texas Roadhouse uh, on Tuesday's Market Foolery. Mark Reith and Taylor Muckerman um, went through the latest from that company. Um, you're a big fan of the CEO, yes? Who, Absolutely. Who, who is this CEO? And Wayne Kent Taylor. I mean, gosh, you pulled it. I was going to say it's W. Kent Taylor. I was hoping to be able to pull what the W was, but uh, Kent Taylor is. Uh, if 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 you go on the YouTube and just you know look up some of his appearances on you know on on CNBC, you know um, you know other you know other shows, uh, other channels, it's a really iconoclastic guy. He started four restaurants in Louisville, Kentucky, three of which failed. You know, was just one of those guys who's willing to take almost an inordinate amount of risk was you know started these restaurants living in his parents basement i think um and just absolutely positively doesn't care about the share price he's laser laser focused on making sure that his that that customers come in and they have a great experience at their restaurants and so uh you know um and we we have a basic belief that if you take care of the customers that every other group is you know is is going to benefit? Yeah, I think you. Uh, one of the ways that we measure that, Chris, is we look uh, we monitor the uh, ACSI index, the American Consumer Customer Satisfaction Index, uh, that's put out, and and there's some really good data on this actually um, for for restaurants specifically, yeah. and uh, consistently Texas Roadhouse scores highest in customer satisfaction. Uh, there have been some studies done that uh, look at the per- the stock performance overlaid with customer satisfaction. Lo and behold, when your customers are happy, your stock does pretty well. Yeah. So we, you know, we keep an eye on that. Uh, you know, we try and go go to uh, Texas Roadhouse as often as we can to make sure that <laughs> sure uh, research. I get that. That's there. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Danny really, Meyer from uh, you know from Shake Shack and those other concepts is exactly the same concept. And, yeah. Yeah. You know. I mean, when you talk about a restaurant bubble, uh, I mean we. We don't like speaking in in broad swaths like that. We really think it's 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 always case by case, um, and so you can find the special businesses like a Texas Roadhouse um, amongst you know the the restaurants that are popping up left and right. The Bennigans of the world, yeah. Which is where Kent Taylor got his start. That's right. Bennigans. Yeah, he kind of basically said, "I'm going to do the opposite of what they're doing." <laughs> I've seen how this works. Look, I think I can do better. That's right. Okay. They they've got food, so that's good. That's a basic for a restaurant. But I think pretty much everything else that they do, okay, chairs. But but then everything else. Yeah, you can check out the Motley Fool's other <laughs> podcasts on iTunes, on Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you find podcasts. Um, Industry Focus is our other daily podcast. They're doing a pop culture theme week, which is really a lot of fun. So definitely check that out. And Rule Breaker Investing, which is David Gardner's weekly podcast. You definitely want to check that one out because the latest episode is David sharing his encounter in the late '90s with one Donald J. Trump. Um, it's a phenomenal story. You got to hear David tell it. But it's this is this is back when Donald Trump was running a public company, and David Gardner in the portfolio that he ran uh, on the Motley Fool's website was publicly shorting the stock. And <laughs> betting I, against Donald Trump. Betting against Donald Which, Trump, yeah. and that that is what precipitates the face-to-face meeting with Trump. I have to say, though, that it, 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 uh, now that that's not a big deal. We see this all the time where someone's, you know, some hedge fund manager, some whoever comes out and says, I'm shorting this stock. 
back in the late nineties, that didn't happen. No, it was, was it was a no. very it was a very bold move uh, back then. A lot of risk, and I'd say still today of talking about your shorts sure. simply because if a short moves against you. If if you buy a stock and you and you're long the stock and it goes against you, you're you, you can lose all of your the money that you've invested. But if a short goes against you, you can lose all of your money, right? Like it, it is limitless. So yeah, more, more than all, yeah. yeah, you can lose more than all of your money, yeah. which is usually rounds down to all of your money. But <laughs> um, well, since you know there's risk in talking about shorting. Uh, let's go. Let's let's talk about shorting. <laughs> uh, worth maybe worth circling back to Tesla Motors for a second, which I believe the short interest on Tesla Motors is somewhere north of twenty three percent, which is high. That is high. Uh, Brian Hinman, yes, sir. You looking to short something? Are you are you starting to kick the tires on shorting? So uh, shorting is uh, a significant part of what I do on okay. a daily basis. So I am always looking. Uh, and I'm always intrigued um, by businesses to bet against. So, uh, a couple years ago, a firm called the Black Star Group put out a paper um, that I think was called the Capitalism Distribution. And basically, what it said is it looked it looked at stock performance over a multi year period and came to the con- conclusion that we always hear that the market goes up 10% a year, but those returns are actually driven by a very small. Uh, proportion of the companies. The majority of companies underperform that average, uh, and a non-trivial portion—I forget the the, the the percentage, but a, but a, but a but a, but a meaningful portion actually lose money. And so, mm-hmm. there there is a business to be had in betting against companies and taking that other side. What are one or I mean, you don't you don't have to reveal everything that's on your list, but what are one or two things that you see in a business that then puts that business on your potential list. So I'll give you the uh, the, the the perfect case. And so really, what I'm looking for is uh, the overlap a Venn diagram of three things. I like to see that there is uh, trouble in the financials somehow. Uh, and so that could be uh, excessive leverage or poor earnings quality or decelerating sales growth, something like that. Something poor that earnings is, quality would be something like, hey, we've got a lot of earnings, but if you look at the cash flow statement, cash it's, flow. it's really low or maybe even better negative. Yeah. yeah. So that's sort of one piece of the Venn diagram. Second piece is uh, trouble with the behavior somewhere. And normally this is a, a people question. And so it could be that uh, the incentives of the management team are poorly aligned with shareholders. So they are incented to make the company bigger, but not necessarily more profitable. Um, or it could be that there's massive insider selling. I mean, we were talking about restaurant uh, restaurant stocks earlier. Uh, just came across um, working with uh, a buddy of mine, J.P. Bennett. Just came across uh, a management team at Dave and Buster's that has sold more than a billion dollars in stock in the, la- in the last. I think 18 months. Great for them. The market cap yeah. of the company is 1.4, 1.7 billion dollars, yeah. something like this. They're just run. They're just running away from ownership in their business. They're, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's for bad reason, but it's notable. You know, so there's something going on uh, in the behavior of the people running the company. Uh, and then the third piece of the Venn diagram uh, is just trouble with the business. And so businesses that lack a competitive advantage or have increasing competition. Uh, that sort of thing. So when you can find a situation that has elements of all three of those, uh, that's I think when something gets really interesting. Yeah, 
of the three, I think that the one that people look at when they think about shorts the most is they think about frauds or they think yeah. about companies where, and, and those are actually, to me, that's the leg of the stool is if that's the only thing you have, you need to stay away because, because there's nothing in a fraud that says that it's going to be, you know, it's going to be re revealed as such, yeah. you know, and usually people who are actively fraud, you know, defrauding people are, are pretty good at it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yes, and and incented to uh, keep it keep That's it under wraps. And Jim Chanas has said, you know, you don't he doesn't necessarily look for frauds because you don't truly know it's a fraud until the last couple of months. Yeah. And so uh, once something is revealed as a, a fraud, you got time to go pile on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know there's been been a great tug of war around a company called Herbalife, and um, report came out you know last week that basically, to my mind. Uh, verified everything that the short seller, uh, hedge fund act, uh, hedge, hedge fund activist named Bill Ackman has been saying, and yet he's been creamed because he's not, you know, he's not a social activist. He's a hedge fund activist, and at the end of the day, the stock hasn't dropped enough to make yeah. it. You know, in fact, it's done the opposite. Yeah, I mean, one of the really uh, the big challenges of shorting of betting against company is the fact that we know the markets tend to rise over time. You know, even that capitalism distribution aside, you know, you run the risk. You, you, you're you're uh, you you are peeing into the wind. <laughs> if I may use that uh, slightly off-color expression, you can use that. Okay, I didn't know if it was different on Facebook. I figured, oh boy, you're you know, supposed to use the word tinkle. Okay, but go yes. ahead. <laughs> so 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 you are fighting that headwind naturally, naturally. Yeah. and then you have you know hundreds or thousands of people who work at this company trying to make the situation better every day. And so you are betting against all of that. Uh, and so it feels a lot like you're, you know, pushing a rock up a hill. You better be right. Yeah. And pay right. and and paying for the privilege of doing so because you That's know, right. when you short you're essentially borrowing. And so And that has a cost. And that has a cost. And it's higher for the more the, for the companies that are obvious like Tesla, you have to pay a huge amount to be short. Yeah. If you want to read more from Brian Hinman and Bill Mann and the whole Fool Funds team, just go to foolfunds.com and sign up for declarations. It is their free monthly newsletter. Always great stuff in there. Just go to foolfunds.com. Bill Mann, Brian Hinman, thanks for being here, guys. Glad to be here, Chris. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.